0: Thanks for tuning in to Reformation Lutheran Church's sermon podcast. Our preacher today is Pastor Matt Medavellis, and the reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1-18. through Thanks for listening, and worship with us online, on Facebook Live, or at ReformationLasVegas.org. Thanks, and God bless. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So my day job, as you may or may not know if you're first joining us, is as a chaplain at Nathan Adelson Hospice. I go into the homes of strangers every day and never know what I'm going to find. My uh, my wife's stepmother, who's here, has the same job and probably has the same experience. Now I don't remember all of the people I meet. And the ones that I do remember are usually the ones that blessed me, impacted me, or challenged me in some way. I had a patient about eight years ago who managed to do all three. I met him in his small home in Henderson near Water Street, and he lived alone. In his living room, there were a few folding chairs, no TV, no TV. And a desk where he sat like a judge in his courtroom. Maps, papers, and books covered almost every surface. And the patient sat there with a t-shirt and what looked like underwear, but I was not going to check too much. He had wild white uncombed wisps of hair, And he greeted me in a very high-pitched drawl that I before had only heard on cartoons. As soon as I sat down, he told me, Now I want to be clear. I invited you here to tell you I don't believe in God, and I think the whole religion thing is a pack of BS. And I could not have responded if I wanted to. He went through a long laundry list of errors and outright atrocities committed by religious organizations. Like a polished lawyer, he argued his case citing televangelist scandals, uh, silly spiritual excesses, stupid rituals, and abuse in everyone from Catholic priests, Mormon missionaries, to Scientologists. When he was finally done, he asked me what I thought about everything he said. And all I could say was, thanks for leaving out the Lutherans. That's what I am. We both laughed. And when we were done talking, he invited me back. On future visits, we became friends. When I learned about his life, I learned that at one stage of his career, he had been a historian of the American West. He'd studied the lives and careers of the famous Buffalo Soldiers, who were African-American cavalry troops who'd fought with the US Army against Native Americans after the Civil War. He'd even written a biography of one of them called Moses Williams, and was kind enough to give me a signed copy. I was pretty new to Nevada at the time, and I learned so much from him about the history of the state, some from documents he had read, and others from people that he met. Religion would come up every once in a while. I would listen. I would even agree with some of his assessments. I mean, organized religion can be terrible, if you're truly honest. Who does this for a living, am I right, Jason? Right. But there was an implicit agreement in all those visits that I would leave the religion part off the table, be his friend and just help him focus on other issues that he was facing at the end of his life. Now, this is my job, but it drove me crazy. I was new. I was eager I was still in my 20s. As I look at 40, I can't imagine being in my 20s. And part of me told myself that, yes, my job was to be there and listen and allow him to guide me where he wanted. But I struggled. I prayed and prayed for opportunities to witness to him. I wanted to demonstrate to him the difference between the sins of religion and the glory of Christ. I, I kept looking for breaks in his verbal armor so that I could share the gospel appropriately to my work as a chaplain, nothing ever came up. I loved this guy immensely, but I felt like a failure. A failure, that is, until the last time I saw him. He was unable to live at home, and as he declined, he was taken into our inpatient unit. I went there to see him and found him weakened and medicated. All he said to me was, what are you doing? Come in here to get my deathbed confession? Joke's on you. And he teased me. Same speech about religion. During the visit, he affirmed his atheism again and shared about his accomplishments and relationships. All I could do was thank him for putting up with me. But after I said goodbye, as I was leaving his room, he reached out for my hand and said, you know I don't have anything against you, or against God for that matter. I just don't want to listen to other people's BS. I want to see it when I get there. Oh, yeah. I told him that I would take that as his final confession. Joke was on him. Okay. And I still hear those words. I shared them when I spoke at his burial, and his family at first laughed and went, Yup, that's him. And it gave great comfort to them as well. But I don't think I really understood how powerful these words were until I heard what St. Paul has to tell us today. Now, I was operating from an incredibly faulty perspective during those visits, and I thank God I have the gift of shutting up. It's a gift I rarely have. Now, I'd read these words from St. Paul before, and they say, well, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. And I had heard these words exactly wrong. I thought that the gospel was just veiled for my patient because he had made some errors. I thought, of course, he didn't believe because he had had people expose him to religion both in history and in his own life who were not very good at it. He never had a good preacher. And that's what all my professors told me after all. They said, faith comes through preaching. Your job is to preach faith. And I imagined that maybe God had sent me to be that good preacher, and I wanted to lift that veil. But that thinking was wrong. I hadn't read the rest of the chapter. I especially hadn't paid attention to the part when Paul says, it is God who speaks. It is God who brings light out of the darkness. It is God who lifts the veil. And I hadn't paid attention to the part especially, and I need to pay more attention to this, where Paul says, we do not proclaim ourselves. That was my error. I wanted to be the hero of my patient's story and then make myself, too, the hero of my own story. I'm always doing that. That's why I'm married. I am never allowed to be the hero in my house. <laughs> yeah. All right, buddy. Yep. Yeah. I wanted to make that man's salvation my own accomplishment. But instead, I got a stern warning I want to see it when I get there. These words that he said were a word from God to me. It's as if God were telling me, I'm the one who gets to lift this veil, not you. And so, all of us, suffer from this veil from time to time. And what Paul was talking about was in the story of Moses that I don't think we read it too much in the church. Maybe it'll come up in the narrative lectionary. But when all the Israelites were gathered on Mount Sinai, Moses would be the one to be the intermediary or the oh that's a big word. I'm sorry, honey. Moses was the go between. <laughs> between. Yeah. Uh, Mo, I can't use big words. No, you can. Yeah. Just for everyone Yes, absolutely. See, see folks, not a hero. (laughs) Moses was the go-between between between the people and God, and when Moses would get close to God, God was a figure who burned with glory. So Moses' face would get burnt, like two-face, right? Except it was his whole face. And his face would get burned, and when he would go back and see the people, it would freak them out. So what he did was he took a veil... In front of his face, and this actually would be pretty scary and probably really helpful to Moses, but he put a veil in front of his face whenever he would go and talk to the people because otherwise it would just be too freaky. And then when he would go in front of God, the veil would come off. And this is what Paul is talking about. The veil is there because we're all perishing, all of us, all of the time. But when God shows up, when we are in front of God, the veil is lifted. And this is important to know about faith. Faith is what we see when God gets here. So to illustrate that, those of you who are living in Las Vegas in the last couple of weeks may have been out and about And you've seen this kind of haze where it looks like it's going to rain, but never rain. Where is that coming from, right? All those wildfires in California. It's creating a thick fog. And that's sometimes, I think, what our lives before God are like. There are so many burning pains and so many burning places in our lives. There are deaths and economic and social dislocation from a virus. There are racist systems that pump seven bullets into the back of an unarmed man in front of his kids, where in the same city with the same police department, a white kid with an assault rifle gets to walk around free and shoot two people. Cruelties, both great and small, destroy achievements, goals, dreams, and relationships. Griefs consume us, and they turn us inside out, especially sometimes when we aren't even thinking about them. For my patient, it was all those terrible things done in God's name. It was smoke from those fires that blocked him from ever seeing God. All that pain and suffering in the world burns and creates a smoke and a fog that blinds our eyes and our hearts and even our sense of who we are. We don't believe in God not because we've considered all the facts, but because we can't possibly see the facts because other experiences get in their way. Brothers and sisters, there is nobody who is blind who chooses not to see, except Odin, and spoiler alert, he's not a real person. We're just caught up in too many fires. There's a story that my grandmother tells about one of her relatives who was in World War II with Patton's Third Army. And he was in a town that was getting bombed and burned out and in the fog of war. I don't know if this story is true, but he saw a very strange (coughs) glowing light from the window of one house. And he raced into that house and saw that it was a metal icon of Christ and his mother burning in the smoke. And he grabbed that icon, and my grandmother had it. Whether this story is true, I do not know. <laughs> Whether it's just family lore, but I love the image of that story. It was being in all of the dust, and all of the smoke, all of the fog of war, that the light of Christ shone in a window. And we can't begin to think that we see outside of the smoke Until we meet the one who is in the fire with us. In the fire with us to be blind and to burn and to cry out, just like we do. We don't see God until we stumble upon our fellow atheist on the cross, crying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We don't lift the veil. We don't see beyond it until we meet the one who buries himself under it from a manger to the cross. And so, here's the takeaway. Faith is not a choice. It is not a decision. Faith is instead an event. Faith is not only what we see when we get there, but it is what we will see and what we do see and what we will always see when God gets here. Faith is what happens whenever Jesus Christ fully shows up in our lives to teach us, to forgive us, to sustain us, to build us up, to inspire in us the praise of God, to just hold us when we are wounded, to hold us together with people that we've lost to disease and to death, to grab our butts and to plop them down in these seats or in front of our computers. Hopefully you're wearing more than underwear so that you can hear some words from God. It is Jesus who shows up to make out of a scattered mass of humans a community. And most of all, it is Jesus who shows up in that fire to claim us and to bring light beyond our addictions, our failures, our sins, our doubts, and our despair, and hidden in those pains. Listen to Paul. Perplexed but not driven in despair. Struck down but not destroyed. Through all of those things... We are able to persevere because whenever Jesus shows up, he says, you belong to God, not to this. You belong to me. You belong to my father. You are home. I am here. Faith is that voice. It's not what we do. The faith we experience is not our work. Faith is born the day that God shows up. So if you're struggling, that's okay. God just may not be here yet. Maybe you want to be just like my dear patient, and you want to see the hero of the movie at the very end. That's a good Western. I can't blame him. But faith, to be truly remarkable, is what we receive in all those moments like Paul shares, where we're cast down but not destroyed, perplexed, and not driven to despair. Faith is what roots us in what's eternal and helps us get through what is temporary. Faith is what happens when God grabs us and says, My child, you're in darkness. Let there be light. And in those tiny little words, we are made new. So that's what faith is. This treasure in a clay jar. A gift meant to be held onto and trusted in the mess and struggle in our lives. And even better, I'm going to wake this poor baby up. Mm -hmm. You can say, I was a sermon illustration before I was baptized. Yep. In, in this little sleepy jar, what a wonderful illustration of baptism. He is doing nothing today. God will put that promise. Let there be light. You are mine. And so my little buddy, my little J-man, God's going to write you a big check today. And so God, help me, your mother... And your godparents and my dear fellow pastor, all these people here and your crazy Italian family on Zoom, we're not going to rest till we <laughs> teach you how to cash it. And already sleeping through my sermon, right? I don't know how his life is going to go. I don't know if he's going to be a good person. I don't know if he's going to be a good church citizen or not. I don't even know if he's going to be in church when he's older. But right now, I don't care about any of that. Because of God's promise today, he's going to see it when he gets there. Amen.